Tedakoto Tefano o Aotearoa Unitarians. Tedakoto na manahiri. No mai, hire mai. Kitene hui topa ate atua. Tedakoto tenatato katoa. Welcome to you all to our virtual service. Worship has many purposes, and one of them is to invite reflection. Today's reflection is on knowing who you are, where you are, and what you're trying to do or be. My opening words are by David Breeden, a poem called There's No Binary. The road not taking is not a fork. That's too simple a thought. Flipping some coin, either or. Nope, it's not this or that, no or yes. It's nor, neither, and all of the above and more. The road taken goes every way at once. There, there, they, them, go now, live. If you have a candle or a chalice, it's time to light it. All that we have ever loved and all that we have ever been stands with us on the brink of all that we aspire to create. We like this chalice to claim a deeper peace, a larger love, a more embracing hope, a deeper joy in this life we share. Well, I like a virtual candle for those joys and concerns that are in our hearts, but unspoken. The reading I've selected for today is by Matthew Rawson. There is no one like you, never will be again. From the birth of the earth to its outermost end, you, an eager shout, a sacred yes, that moves your flesh, your bone, your breath. You, she, he, they, they, you are whole and okay gracefully teaching your truth and your way. You cannot be forgotten. We cherish you so. Your voice and your hands can do more than you know. You see old things anew. You turn them and test them. Your wonder exhausts our old words to express them. You speak and lay bare all you dig up and hold, 
aloft from the dust of conventions grown cold. You upend every rock and pursue every glimmer and give a new name to each sparkle and shimmer. You chart out new paths, go beyond our horizons, new friendships, new stories, your hope always rising. You, welcome and wanted, whatever your skin, whatever the neighborhood you were born in. You, play across fences that keep us divided. Old walls become weak where your love is ignited. You, call us to kindness and questions, reminding the life of our living is found in the finding. You, there is no one like you, never will be again. From the birth of the earth to its outermost end, you matter, you do. We'll keep learning with you. Affected over 430 million globally and resulted in at least 6 million deaths while keeping our numbers infinitesimal. She's gone from a landslide election in 2020 to being chased by protesters calling her a traitor and demanding her execution by hanging while camping out on Parliament's lawn. And this is only the tip of the iceberg she's had to deal with since moving from deputy opposition leader to opposition leader to prime minister practically overnight in 2017. Aside from the fact that nothing could induce me to take her job, I wonder what our previous conversation would be like today. Is she the same person now that she was then, teeming with optimism and positivity? Or have her triumphs and tragedies formed someone new? I don't know. But I expect that when she can find time, she asks herself the same question. We don't have to be prime minister to ask the universal existential question that repeatedly demands an answer throughout her life. Who am I? We might think we're one and the same person all our life. Think again. Our true identity only settles after our last breath. Who are you? Instinctively, you'd probably answer that question starting with your name, age, background, hobbies, and job. Explaining who you truly are is no topic for small topic, talk. And there's no shame in that. Your true identity is an inherently complex phenomenon. You are you, but how exactly is you defined? 
Imagine I rewound the tape of your life. Your trophies and certificates are pulled off the wall, unframed and returned. Your children grow smaller, then vanish. You become smaller. Your adult teeth retract, your baby teeth return, and your traits and eccentricities fade away. I keep rewinding still until I'm having a colony of cells and then having them again, finally arriving at that that amazing singularity that will become you. The question, of course, is what happens when we press play again? Are your talents, traits, and insecurities so deeply embedded in your genes that they're basically inevitable? Or could things go rather differently with just a few tiny nudges? In other words, we essentially originate from our genes, but how much of your fate do you allot to your genes versus your experiences versus chance? Your identity is who you are your inner you. That's more than just the sum of your characteristics, says psychologist and professor Gertie Lindsvelt-Mulder. Your identity is fueled by others. Take me as an example. I'm a mother of three and a grandmother of seven. Although these children are part of my identity, they don't play a role in my characteristics, my appearances psychologist, woman, professor, mother, define my identity. I give meaning to those appearances based on my characteristics. The development of your identity starts with the name you are given, your own family, your parents, and possibly brothers and sisters. After that, it's the schools you attend, the friends you make, the clubs you join, the sports you play, and so on. But how exactly does that correlate? First off, you're born with a natural aptitude for certain character traits. Lidsfeld Mulder continues, all your life you're exposed to situations that strengthen or weaken your natural aptitudes. This way your identity develops. Parents play a big part in this development. Let's say you're curious by nature. With anxious parents, your curiosity will weaken. That's because every time you hear your mother say, watch out, don't do that, your aptitude for curiosity is reduced. On the other hand, when your parents allow you to do pretty much whatever you like, you're curiosity is strengthened. You can imagine someone with a strong aptitude for curiosity choosing to study journalism more easily than others. Choosing such a study then weighs in on the development of your identity as well, producing a snowball-like effect. Your work does not determine your identity, says Lidsfeld Mulders. Instead, it starts with choosing your line of work. Where and who you work with both play a part in the development of your identity and the way you think about yourself. 
We all know unintended unemployment has a big impact on how you see your identity. When people lose their jobs, they generally go through a grieving process and reinvent themselves. Peak times in our identity development are unique moments throughout our life. When you reach puberty, you start to blossom into a young adult, questioning your true self. Reaching the age of 30 or 40 are other unique moments when your identity can start to waver, leading to a midlife crisis. Our identity keeps changing even after you retire and spend the rest of your life working in the garden and staring through a window. I mean, you can't stop the world from turning. People die, things happen. And again, you question yourself who you truly are. Our identity is formed more than just by our stages of life. A person's identity, author Amin Malouf wrote as he contemplated what he so poetically called the genes of the soul. It's like a pattern drawn on a tightly stretched parchment. Touch just one part of it, just one allegiance, and the whole person will react, the whole drum will sound. And yet we are constantly pressured to parcel ourselves out in various social contexts, lacerating the parchment of our identity in the process. As Courtney Martin observed in her insightful conversation with Parker Palmer and Krista Tippett, it's never been more asked of us to show up as only slices of ourselves in different places. In his song of myself, Unitarian poet Walt Whitman observed, do I contradict myself? Very well. Then I contract, contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. Today, as Whitman's multitudes no longer compose an inner wholeness, but are being torn out of us fragment by fragment, again, the question arises, who are you? It turns out not everyone agrees with Heraclitus. I'm not a religious man, the philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein once said to a friend, but I cannot help seeing every problem from a religious point of view. These problems that he claims to see from a religious point of view tend to be a technical matter tend to be technical matters of logic and language. Wittgenstein trained as an engineer before he turned to philosophy. I've had close friends who were engineers. Who knew they could be philosophers? When he, got, when he does respond to philosophers who set their sights on higher mysteries, Wittgenstein can be stubbornly dismissive. Consider the man who said one cannot step into the same river twice was wrong 
one can step into the same river twice. He argues that rivers by definition are constantly in flux. So no matter how many times you step into the river, nothing has changed. It's the same river. Our lives too are always in flux. It is an existential reality. But who we are remains the same. Life may make us smarter, wiser, happier, sadder. But the you who is you is simply on a journey. Sometimes our life meanders lazily through plains, and sometimes it crashes on rocks like rapids in a narrow gorge. Sometimes a drought turns it into a rivulet and other times it overflows its banks. And yet, it is the same you. The problem is, it may take a lifetime to sort it out. It helps to be part of a community as you go about the task. My closing words are by Margaret, Margaret Wheatley. We never know who we are. This is strange, isn't it? Or what vows we made or who we knew or what we hoped for or where we were when the world's dreams were seeded. Until the day just one of us sighs a gentle longing and we all feel the change one of us calls a name, and we all know to be there. One of us tells a dream, and we all breathe life into it. One of us asks, why? And we all know the answer. It's very strange. We never know who we are. And now if you have a candle or chalice, it's time to extinguish it. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. Now it's time for small group breakouts to discuss a question. The question is, what have you come to know about who you are? What have you come to know about who you are? 